Welcome to the Deep Collaboration Podcast. My name is Max Andocker, and I'm the co-founder and CPO of CoachCream. In today's episode, I'm joined by my co-founder and CEO, Joe Peeper, and talking to Jason Warner. As the CTO of GitHub and former head of engineering at both Heroku and Canonical, Jason has a wealth of experience in building both effective engineering teams and great products. He will share his thoughts on creating a great remote work culture, building productive teams, and how ways of working are likely to evolve past the pandemic. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you ended up being coming the CTO of GitHub? Sure. So um, I, I'm Jason Warren, I'm the CTO of GitHub. Um, I've been at GitHub uh, just about four years now. Um, I joined about two years pre-acquisition um, by Microsoft, and um, I would say that my journey to GitHub is uh, a pretty classic one in terms of eventually leading into a role that looks like this, but I've been serving developers for the past uh, 12 or so years, starting with Canonical, where the developer was my prime um, customer when I ran Ubuntu for five years. That led to Heroku, where I ran Heroku Engineering for nearly four years, and obviously the developer is front and center to us. And then GitHub, where um, GitHub is the quintessential developer company in the 2020s. And, um, you know, in some ways, I guess you could say that this is my natural landing spot after having done that for the last couple of years. Um, but, um, you know, that's, I guess, the quick journey from a professional perspective. Um, how I ended up at GitHub, though, is that GitHub, um, I'd been at Heroku for a while, um, um, developing Heroku, and got to know a lot of people. Heroku and GitHub are very similar companies, started around the same time. We share a lot of the same employees. In fact, there's several dozen ex-Heroku, mm-hmm. ex-GitHubers who kind of go back and went back and forth at one point. Um, and the ecosystem of investors is really small in San Francisco. So once I made a name for myself at Heroku, the, the GitHub investors had gotten pretty interested in what I was doing over there. And they said, hey, we have this interesting asset over here. Do you know anything about it? And of course I did. It's GitHub. And uh, just kind of led one conversation, conversation led to another. Yeah, th- and thank you so so much. I mean, it's great to have you here, and you, know, you obviously have an amazing background. Uh, when it comes to GitHub and Heroku, uh, I'd say they've meant a ton when it comes to collaborative development and how developers work together, both through open source but also internally. Uh, what do you think has been the overall impact of that? Um, I think that they had different types of impact in that space. GitHub obviously had the most front and center collaborative. Um, impact. In fact, it was the tagline for GitHub for years of social coding. And if anyone had changed the notion that it wasn't a singular developer in a back room being fed pizza to produce code, I think it was mm. GitHub um, yeah. in terms of a, a corporate entity. Um, and I think, you know, with its with GitHub's very early success with the open source community, obviously that was brought front and center because many people thought that open source was done in back smoky rooms at one point. And bring it way out into the public and make it visible, but making it accessible for others really augmented that, I think, too. Heroku, I don't think, had as nearly as large an impact on the collaborative aspect of software development, mm-hmm. though I do think it really did in one way, and in this way I think it's even more special uh, in a very specific way than GitHub, which was the ease of use of Heroku made it, one, software development more possible, two, smaller teams 
to work together because they no longer had to worry about certain aspects of things. And three, they made tighter feedback loops with each other because those cycles were so, were so um, easy to use. And that way, I think that they really helped smaller indie teams to start out and become larger teams eventually. Yeah, and of course, this has changed the whole approach to development online and web development in general, I would say. Uh, you know, the from hosting to publishing, and some of that has been brought into GitHub as well eventually, right? Yeah. Well, if I could have waved a magic wand and I was not employed by either one of these or leading um, GitHub at some point, yeah. I would have said that the most magical company on earth from a developer perspective would have been GitHub plus Heroku. There would have been nothing in the world like it at the time, and it would have been the most special way for developers to, mm. to work if you could have just checked in your code and automatically make it to GitHub through all of the things in between there. Um, mm. I don't think that a more magical experience could have existed. And yes, you could get that experience today still, but if it was one product as opposed to two corporate entities, it would have been even more seamless. Yeah. Awesome. And just building on that, I mean, companies like especially GitHub, also GitLab, have nailed asynchronous workflows for engineers. Um, and then in other areas, you know, Notion, Loom, Yak for audio messages have done the same. Um, so you've invested as an engineer investor in CoScreen, just to be transparent about that, and also in other companies in the space, like, what do you think is, is next? What are the next big frontiers for, uh, especially synchronous collaboration, but also overall in the collaboration space with a, with a connection to engineers? Well, I, yes, obviously I invested in, in CoScreen. I was very excited to do it. I think that what, what I am looking for to happen um, in the next couple of years, and let's, be, let's walk backwards too. I've been remote myself for over a decade. I worked for Canonical when I was in Australia. I worked for um, Heroku when I was in Victoria, British Columbia for a San Francisco-based company and GitHub for Victoria um, in a San Francisco-based company. So I've never lived in San Francisco where most of those companies were. And um, you know, when I joined Canonical, everything was done over IRC. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. It was like used Mumble and IRC and some badly put together video that doesn't really exist at the time, mm -hmm. Skype, and it never got better. And then at some point, Hangouts came out and like it just the world changed because you could do a Hangout even at low quality. But now, obviously, we're living in 2021 and Zoom is um, made possible and we're, we're on Riverside right here, which is something that no one would have thought of doing in, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago even. But those are those are broad-based tools. We need different ways of working. So the, the most I think one of the things I'm looking for is to meet people where they are and in ways that will impact them in not like blunt instrument sort of way. And I think that will change the future of work more than like becoming the system of record or becoming the quote unquote everything platform for everybody. Because honestly, like that's not how people work. You know, people need like sharper tools. So one of the reasons why I got so super excited when CoScreen came out was it put the developer front and center again in a way that was, you know, I saw GitHub and Heroku, but said, okay, here's what you need to do on a daily basis. Now, yes, CoScreen is a general tool and will be used by many people in many different ways. But I very much saw myself in the product presentation, like, yes, I need this tool for that, mm. that remote development sort of way. And I think other tools in the space are going to, you know, come in, come in as well. Like we see, um, we see one-on-one -on -one meetings being very different than 30-person gallery meetings in Zooms. You need different tools for those. Um, we see a lot of note-taking apps popping up or whiteboarding apps with Miro and things of that nature. We see HQ replacement apps popping up now with like with.so, which is trying to re recreate the entire uh, HQ experience. Um, I, mean, I mean, I'm kind of excited to see what happens in, in that way, but I do, I do absolutely believe 
what Code Screen is doing is very specific and like very very sharply focused, which is going. I I hope people pick up on it because it'll definitely make their day to day much better than being on Zooms for ten hours a day. Yeah, of course we agree. Thank you. Of course we we agree to that statement, and we appreciate having you on board for this journey as well. Uh, you mentioned that you know throughout I guess throughout the pandemic, but also before. You know, you had to experiment with different ways of working remotely. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, the cycles you went through? What did you get right about the ways of working remotely? And what would you have done differently? I think most people that run some sort of a hybrid um, structure um, or, um, you know, HQ centric, but you do have remote people end up on it. They stumble upon a, a way of working. And I would generally frame it as you basically contract together for some period of time and then you leave. And I think, you know, that was Canonical, that was Heroku, that was GitHub. We just had different cadences. But I've become a little bit more opinionated in my focus on those because most people said they just wanted to get together every once in a while to see people face to face. But what I I found that what they were, were really trying to do is they wanted to have a different type of conversation when they were in person. And the conversation usually centered around um, co-work in a way that de-risked a whole bunch of other parts of the system. So what I've come to, to, to really say is that um, the best model I've seen is that get people together for some period of time to do some sort of end-to-end work that makes it possible to leave for some other period of time when most of those things are answered and it's quote-unquote a simple matter of programming to figure out a whole bunch of the different elements. So a good example of this is when we were kicking off GitHub Actions um, for the first time the team got together um, for two weeks in Nashville, I believe it was. And there was like 14 people in the room. They divided to two teams um, over two weeks and they basically put an end-to-end prototype that only worked for one very specific path and a whole bunch of smoke and mirrors in a whole bunch of different ways. But they answered a whole bunch of questions mm-hmm. in those two weeks, which allowed them to come back, show the demo, and then disperse to their, their homes across the country or world and work for the next three months fig- finishing it. Mm-hmm. And it was... You know, I think it was that that moment when I was like, okay, that's actually what we were after all those years trying to do that. Um, but you know, I think that's like one of the things that I've learned too going through this experience is that what people are actually after is like that that centralized de-risking situation. One of the other thing I've realized too going back to this is that um, with the pandemic is that um, this is not normal. Like I I'm more tired than I've ever been in my life doing this. I'm. And I've been doing this for 10 years. It just doesn't feel the same way. And I think that when um, there's a fatigue that happens, um, and I think that there's just this overhead. So I think that while it, you know, remote is here to stay, I think that we'll, we'll get back to some semblance of like more normal-ish remote than, than we have right now. And then one last thing that I will, I will mention uh, on a corporate level too is that um, I have seen that most of the people that... Um, or have been successful in this are the ones that have already had some degree of familiarity with the remote and the ones who had the most challenges. And I mean, everyone seemed to have a natural moment for about a two to three month period when the pandemic started that they're like, we're figuring this out. And then there was this moment where some people just kind of absorbed it and moved on. And I think those people had experience with the remote. And then there's another set of people who are like, this effing sucks and I hate it. And they went through this lull. And those are the people who did not have any experience with the remote whatsoever. And all these old habits and patterns and things that they were used to and where maybe where they got energy or um, validation just weren't there anymore. And they couldn't find motivation. Or they couldn't find X, Y, or Z that they needed. And they had a really bad summer or fall. 
Do you think that is a that is a problem of uh, tools or processes or or I mean, do these or mindset? Do they? Do you think these folks would come around if they have the right tools, or is it just a matter of fact that either you are a more remote-minded person, like you have been in your career, or you're not? I do think that there's um, there's personality differences that make it easier. So I'm mm -hmm. definitely probably more of an introvert than my boss, who's definitely more of an extrovert than me. And we both get energy from being in the office, but I think that my energy replenishment comes from working out, um, whereas his energy replenishment might actually come from being with people in the same room. So in a scenario like this, I'm more adaptable to the present circumstance than he would be. But sometimes if I had to go to the office for two straight weeks, by the end of those two weeks, I'm like, dude, I, just, I need to chill. I need to get back to my hotel and not see you anymore. I love you, but I can't be here with you right now type of deal. So I think there's some personality differences. I do think that tools will make a difference though in this case too, because being in front of these screens all day is not the right way for us to live our lives when we're, even when we're remote. We shouldn't be on video calls for 12 hours a day or 10 hours a day. There should be some other multimodal operation. And I think that again, going to the sharpness of certain tools, the fact that um, a five minute phone call could solve a problem where sometimes you schedule a 30 minute meeting, we shouldn't have to schedule all those meetings. You should just mm -hmm. be able to ad hoc say, Hey, Sally, hey, Johnny, I need you in this coat. Can you take a look at this mm -hmm. real quickly? Yeah, we'll put it up on, on the coat screen and we'll, we'll get the video going. We can just do that. Mm -hmm. Not having to schedule the Zoom call to do it. Yeah, no, and of course we agree. I mean, we don't want folks, ironically, not, not to spend too much time on coat screen. We feel like um, yeah. meetings should be shorter. They should be more intense. They should be more deliberate. Um, and we also see the value in asynchronous communication. But as you said, I think you have this example from GitHub Actions. There are cases where if it's really meaty, if it's really innovative, it's innovative, it's very unclear what the outcome is. It makes sense to do it synchronously or even in person. So is that your takeaway from that situation where you would always bring folks together in one room in case you have these big moonshots? I wouldn't, I don't necessarily think I would always bring them together. Okay. But I think that it's just easier to do. And when, um, when people are willing to travel and are able to travel and we have enough money to, to support it, it probably is just simpler to do that. And I, I if I, When I talk to um, startup founders a lot, I talk about two different phases of your product. Like there's a pre-obvious phase and a post-obvious phase. In a pre-obvious phase, you benefit from more cycle time. It doesn't matter if it's in-person um, interaction, but you basically just need more back and forth with people as you're sorting stuff through. And it's always just easier if that person is right there. It's just the way that's going to work. But it's possible to do. It's just easier if you're able to be right there. So sometimes it based on personalities or, or whatnot, you might want to do that. But if I was starting a company with my experience and you know my approach to it, I probably would never get people together. I, I, could, I could conceivably get by, but if I had a particularly maybe super tricky thing, I might get them together for a weekend or a couple of days just because I'm like, hey, the only goal of this is to de-risk this situation this way. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't be my default mode, no. Got it, great. And, and you mentioned yeah. a couple of things around managing your energy level as well. Do you have any other thoughts on how to do that in a remote work environment? It's obviously very personal. You know, some people need the exercise, some people need a social connection. But are there things you think people miss specifically from a management point of view in all of this? Well, I think that so um, this is going to be a weird answer to the question. Um, but I think what happens when you're in remote environments, people can be dehumanized really quickly, actually. So you're just the name at the other end of a Slack message. And when that happens, I think that's when bad behaviors start. Um, and I think from um, that perspective, 
Never let yourself or, or become dehumanized to others and never dehumanize others because your interactions will change. And then all those little micro interactions become negative or become neutral and negative. And then mm. you, you lose energy in those interactions. There's nobody besides like the worst of all the psychopaths or narcissists or whatever's in the world that get that gain energy from massively negative interactions. So when you think about those, if you're like, hey, can you at least get to neutral to positive, at least you can keep energy. Yeah. But your point about energy um, and everyone is going to be massively different. Yes, I need to work out. And I also need a little bit of downtime by myself to do some things. And I, I like to just like, honestly, like I like to sketch and think, sketch and think. And it's like a weird meditative thing for me. But that's not for everybody. Some people actually do need to go interact with friends or whatnot. I don't need to do that. But I think what it's the, the really important thing is to understand that you do need to do something. And so if you if you don't know what that is about you, you should probably sit and spend some time and like inventory it. Like what drains me? What gives me energy? How am I going to manage it? Because in an environment like this, you do have to manage it. But so does everyone else in your house too. understand how your spouse or your partner or your kids are dealing with it. I have got one. We've got three kids, one daughter who is the most extroverted person I've ever met in my life. And I don't understand how she came from two of the most introverted people on the planet, <laughs> but she absolutely needs human interaction and she's just not getting enough of it right now. So we've got to find ways to fabricate that for her. The other two mm -hmm. kids literally will just grab a book and sit in the closet for 12 hours and we won't see them and they're perfectly fine. But this one, we got to figure out how to give her some of what she needs. In thinking about this, in terms of innovation, do you feel that there's a risk uh, in a remote environment, okay, that you become very task-based, you check in in order to complete something together, but you don't get this moments of serendipity to craft new ideas. Um, can that also be managed? I mean, you mentioned earlier getting together every once in a while to, to work on particular projects, but just this you know, kind of, you know, what if type of ideas, right? They might come up, but they yeah, have to work. I do, I do think that there's, um, um, what I, I usually tell people when they ask the question, like the water cooler question, which is like that moment of serendipity type of thing. Yeah. Um, I typically say that a lot of that is actually, um, in, the, in very, very small companies, that's just what happens here in the office. But in larger companies, what that actually is covering for is typically bad, uh, poor corporate hygiene, I will say. Um, the it, it's it's hard to explain fully, but what I mean by that is that if your company relies on just like basically luck, running through the office, running to the right person, and they have the right conversation at the right time, and sparks happen, um, it's probably not you're probably not structured in such a way, or you're not operating in such a way. Now, most people say no, no. The moment of serendipity is when just like just luck happened and magic was was brought. I'm like, well, I actually don't believe that. that Fully is the case. I believe that thoughtfulness is better than, like, or explicit is better than implicit, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So explicitly try to put together people. Explicitly try to mm -hmm. um, have um, times when you're going to be asking difficult questions. Um, moments of serendipity in my career mm -hmm. have always led to us having the, the asking the question, why aren't we doing something differently? Why aren't we looking at something uh, in a broader range? Mm -hmm. And so explicitly create those moments as opposed to just be like, again, Johnny or Sally ran up to me and said that we should mm -hmm. be looking at this. And my God, we actually should have been looking at that. Like that is a, that is actually a, a, a conversation you should be fostering if you're mm -hmm. a leader. And, and that might not even be a bad thing in an office environment either. No, perhaps, I think, yeah, actually to that point, I think that all the habits you should use to build a remote organization 
Um, if you can build those habits to become a good remote mm -hmm. organization, you'll become an excellent co-located organization. They're the same habits, communication patterns, project management statuses, um, you know, uh, all the, the, the governance, uh, mm -hmm. all those things. It just so happens that they're so required to operate even a moderately efficiently mm -hmm. as a remote organization, you sometimes don't have those in a co-located organization because you can get by without them because you can rely on moments of serendipity or walk managing by walking around the office or all mm -hmm. hands or something like that. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. Uh, you know, I would like to extend this question to tooling. Is there anything in terms of tooling? I'm curious to know what type of stack you prefer to work with in order to help you achieve all of this. Um, I, I typically say you need a set of tools um, or a set of approaches. You need um, you need email. Email just is a non-negotiable. No matter what organization you are, you need email. Mm. Um, you need some sort of async communication tool. Like obviously, I work at GitHub, so I'm going to say you need GitHub. Um, you need some sort of synchronous communication tool. Um, so you know that's commonly Slack and those things. Um, and then you need video. You need some sort of video collaboration or audio collaboration. But you do need video, I think, too, because video from a fidelity perspective is the highest we're going to get these days. And in remote organizations, you need higher fidelity communication because you have to watch for the interaction patterns. Um, in that way, I prioritize them this way. Email is a non-negotiable, so let's just put it at the top. Yeah, you have to have it. Um, you need async communication, so um, GitHub a second. Video third, and syn um, synchronous communication fourth. Hmm. Um, and, and when I make synchronous, I mean text-based synchronous communication. Yeah. And um, what I, I, I offer recommendations in each one of them. Don't abuse email. Use it for outside communication more than anything. If you're using inside communication, use async. Use video and then be overly dramatic in your, in your video so that you can actually relay more emotion than anything else. Like That's a weird one to say, but it's something I had to pick up on and do over the years. And then don't overly rely on Slack or synchronous communication. In mm -hmm. fact, I think that most organizations think that we're distributed, let's use Slack for all of the communication is literally the worst anti-pattern I've ever seen in all these remote organizations. That leads to mm -hmm. all manner of bad behavior. And in fact, if I said, if I were to go so far as say, hey, you're a bad remote organization, remove Slack for a month and I bet you will get better. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is like, you still use Slack, but you have to find the right approach it, to it. It shouldn't be the default. It should my, be sort my, of my view on Slack is that it should be for such ephemeral five minute conversations that they ne never need to persist or almost like jokey meme back and forth mm -hmm. with people. If you want to think of Slack as a water cooler, I'm perfectly fine with it. If you want to think of Slack as like corporate governance, communication about strategy and practices, throw it into the sun. It's the worst tool in the world. It's interesting because I mean now the, for the acquisition of Salesforce, it seems to be more uh, trying to become a system of record. You know where you deal with CRM. I mean, you know I am so anti that. I think that um, I think that this goes to show that when you have people who are divorced from the ground of making those decisions, they don't understand the impact of the tool on people who have to live it day to day. It's yeah. like, and, and and I am someone who's lived this life for 10, 12 years, and I am so against this as the main operating tool inside an organization that I, I would even call it out by name because it's just such a bad pattern for people. Um, and it, it's hard because it's the entire shtick and branding for one tool. I actually love it. I think it's amazing. Just like I love IRC for a certain set of things, but it cannot become the main channel of communication. That's my real main point. 
Yeah, got it. And talking about another uh, specific tool that many engineers have started to adopt, which is pair programming, which has been a thing for 20, maybe 30 years. It's, it's, I think it has never been uh, mass adopted, but now we've seen a shift in the pandemic that folks see that as a useful tool Two folks working together on a problem, and some th see that in a very religious formal way, which is like 15 minutes handing over between you know drivers and navigators. Other folks see it more as okay, just two engineers figuring something out. Is that do you agree? With, do you agree with that premise? Uh, do, would you prescribe it to your teams? Or? Oh, I do. I actually, I'm one of these people who's so anti-religious pair pro. Yeah, I'm I'm one of these people who's so anti-religious pair programming, extreme extreme programming, or Scrum or Agile, any of those mm -hmm. that I I almost want to. I, I I have a little bit of a resistance to pair programming, except in remote environments, I find it so incredibly helpful. It's it's like, I, it's weird. It's like in the office, I found it to be people had this religious moment. Like you have to pair a program. No, it's my turn with the keyboard. Um, you know, um, all those shared environments. And that to me, again, was dangerous. It just put, it, it stopped, it stopped making people understand why pair programming was important in the first place. And it led to this like religious dogma-ish type of approach. But interestingly, in a remote environment, pair programming is one of the best things that you can do for two programmers. I've, I find because it literally is just two people batting ideas back and forth, like they're sitting back of each other, which again, goes back to co-screen, why I was so in love with it when I saw it for the first time was in a remote environment, it is literally the tool that unlocks the back-to-back -back programmer again. In, in an yeah. mm -hmm. And interestingly, while I might be very against it from a dogma perspective, and I love it from that pair programming from that perspective alone. And even if they never pair program, but it's just like, hey, second eyes while I drive. Am I, am, I, am I crazy looking at this or is this not the way it's supposed to be? Like, no, no, I'm with you here. Let's try these three things, you know? I love it. Great, and that means you wouldn't prescribe it for all kinds of, I mean, there are companies who use only pair programming and you don't do code reviews even because you assume everything has been anyway seen by two pairs of eyes. That is not the mode you would, you would go no, for. I, I find that um, I'm, I'm never gonna begrudge people for picking their own methods of working. Right. I will begrudge people when they, they just dogmatically choose certain, mm -hmm. certain things. And so whenever someone tells me that they're, they only do PRs and it has to be seen by one pro, there's one specific programmer, you start to realize that there's some unhealthy habits that that company has because there's only one person who can gatekeep the entire system to production or something like that. Well, the same way it's like, well, we only use pair programming because two people have seen it. We don't even have to do code review. You know, it's... Mm -hmm you start to ask the question about what the, the main motivations behind those things are. I'm not going to begrudge anyone those decisions, but I'm also not going to fall into any one camp entirely. I'm, I'm a right tool for the job type of person. And I do like pair programming for a set of things. And in small companies, um, yeah, go ahead. Two people saw it, throw it right to production. In a massive company with 5,000 people and you, uh, you know production system, like, eh, you might want security to go take a look at this one. Right. Great, and um, I mean, you've worked with other early stage companies like like ours. Um, what is the advice that you would g give folks like us? And secondly, um, it's maybe a different question, but in how far are developers a good audience to go for? Uh, some say they are great because they are you know willing to take even raw, unpolished solutions. Others say they are much more opinionated than than other uh, user user audiences. Well, I, I think it depends on. Um where you fall on a spectrum, but I think developers are some of the more interesting customers to go after because they do have opinions mm -hmm. um, and they're all over the board and they do have um, particular ways of looking at the world. And um, they may put up with certain inadequacies in the product, but they definitely won't in others. I find them to be a particularly interesting set of people to, to develop for. Um, 
I also think that they happen to be probably the most, um, if you're building a company, if you can win developers in the next 10 years, you're basically winning the future of all software development yeah. um, or your particular mm-hmm. niche. I think Twilio is a great example of this. Twilio's best marketing ever was that billboard that's become famous, which is ask your developer. Yeah. And to me, that marked the beginning of um, that the full-on developer domain. And it's, it's hard because if you don't understand how software gets made these days and where the value is created in organizations, you might still think of it as developers as cost center. I remember when I started my career, I was coded at IBM as cost center. And it just meant that we don't make money off of you. You, you effectively are a loss for us. I'm like, well, the one who's creating the product that the sales team is selling. I don't understand how you can think about that at all, but it just meant that technically on the debit sheet for IBM at the time, I was a negative. Whereas when the salesperson sold it, they were a positive. You know, the mind shift is that this is developers of value creation and giving them better, sharper tools is going to benefit. And yes, it will take time for people of mega corporation size to realize that giving developers more expensive, better tools will benefit them long-term. But the shift has already happened. And, you know, the next 10 years are gonna be about the laggards catching up to that notion, in my opinion. So, Yeah, you could you could probably find more lucrative domains, but you might you probably don't find more interesting domains for the next ten years. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. Maybe Jason, is there something you would like to talk about that we haven't really touched up on? Uh, something interesting that's going on in your world that we should bring to the listeners' attention? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm gonna put on my CTO a GitHub hat here and say. If you're not a GitHub user, come on over and check it out. Um, obviously, we're pretty proud of what we've done in the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to take my GitHub CTO hat off and just say, hey, um, vaccines are all around the corner for everybody. <laughs> you know, don't 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 last mile this and you know give up now. Stay yeah. strong and wait for it. And then the other is like now is definitely the time to make sure the people you you do care about know that you care about them. So it's nice just to reach out to people and say something nice about them right now too. Um, that never hurts in normal times, but you know, extra good habit to do or practice to do these days. So true. So with 2020 behind us and it was a tough year and, you know, vaccines are coming, uh, what are you mostly looking forward to in 2021? Um, I've mentioned to you, I'm a massive introvert and all that sort of stuff, but I am definitely looking forward to seeing my team again. Like it's just Mm -hmm. a person just, you know, a year in isolation is too long type of deal. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm in Canada. The border is closed with the U.S. It's and it's a little different. We can't go back and forth as easily. I'm really looking forward to the border being open and being able to go to Hawaii and um, mm. sit on a, a warm beach somewhere. <laughs> it's um, the, I'm a, I'm a beach person is what I I like. That's where my vacations are, and uh, I really really want to do that. I put off a vacation in 2019. Thinking I would get it in 2020. (laughs) So I've been without a beach vacation for going on about two and a half, three years at this point. And I could really use that time back um, for that time. And I think that also, um, you know, going back, I think I'm just looking forward to, I don't know, it just feels like everyone's kind of dialed up a little bit. I'm looking for people to be able to dial, all of us be able to dial back down, Um, you know, drop some of the defense mechanisms or some of the whatever we've all got going on. I mean, yeah, it's a global pandemic. We're all kind of dialed up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're looking forward to more beach time as well. (laughs) 
in more, more more connection. You know, what we often tell people is we're a team of eight now, and most of the team members we've never had the chance to meet. Yeah, I am. Um, so looking forward to, to seeing them in person. About this, and I said that uh, of all the contacts in my phone that are not GitHub or my family, um, I interact with a lot of people outside of work and my family. Um, let's call them like several dozen. I've I've met two in person <laughs> of several dozen, and I'm like, hey, you yeah. probably actually see how tall that person is. <laughs> yeah, right. the deal. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jason. Uh, it's been great having this chat with you. And uh, I want to tell our listeners that um, if you haven't yet, do check out GitHub. Uh, it's a great place for open, so open source, but also for team to collaborate. Mm-hmm.